0: Things move very fast especially either it's real life and it's moving fast because it's verite then you don't have many you have a much smaller crew but things are happening or it's a more controlled set where you're filming big recreations or something and it moves fast because it's expensive so everything has to happen quickly you got to be calm and composed and keep your vision and, and remind you know keep it in the center of your brain and be able to communicate it clearly
1: Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence.
2: Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. We've got lots of great episodes over season five, and today's a fantastic one. Jed Rothstein, my oldest friend in the world, well, tied for my oldest friend in the world, Emmy Award winner twice, Academy Award nominee, filmmaker, director, and we're going to get into turning passion into a profession. And he's got a career built by past loves. You can, too, if you're paying attention. We're going to talk about how to make yourself a valuable asset in a business, and why not get into the director role versus other roles in film. Welcome to the show, and welcome to The Edge of Excellence. Jed Rothstein is an Academy Award nominated and multi Emmy Award winning filmmaker, turning real life stories into compelling cinematic narratives that entertain and enlighten audiences. His work includes stories from global hotspots, stylistically innovative and investigative journeys and novel explorations of the documentary form, which sounds very interesting, Jed, but I'll sum it up. I'll break that down a little bit more simply. Jed is tied as my oldest friend with this guy, Matt File, who's one of the attorneys that chased down all the Madoff money. And I got to do a podcast with Matt in it. He's one of the greatest men that I've ever met. And he has a wonderful resume. But as I've mentioned in a couple of these podcasts nowadays, everybody's concerned about resumes and accomplishment and look at me. And it didn't used to be that way. It used to be people were focused on community values and who they were more than what they are, and who Jed is, is one of the most loving, caring, focused, hardest working, best friends that anybody can have. And Jed, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your insight for those people that may wanna become directors, producers, movie makers, and one day sit at the Oscars uh, waiting to hopefully get an award. Thank you for coming on the
0: show. Well, thanks for having me, Matthew, and thanks for the kind introduction. Before we get
2: deep into what it means to be a filmmaker and how you sort your passion into a career, which I saw Jed do from anthropology to documentary filmmaking and adjusting your career, which I've heard about him doing because he was in dangerous places and he has a wonderful, very accomplished wife and son, both very accomplished. And he wanted to make sure he wasn't going to get knocked off. Before we get into WeWork and Rudy and Killing in the Name of, I got to ask you the question I ask everybody. Jed Rothstein, what is
0: your definition of excellence? Uh, My definition of excellence is doing whatever you're doing to the best of your ability and doing it in a way that you know it, it, it satisfactorily accomplishes the goals and leaving no stone unturned in your efforts to shape Uh, in my case, to to shape every project to make it the best thing that I've ever done to that point. So
2: it's about effort and perseverance and follow through and doing everything you can possibly do to accomplish your goals, using your ability and maybe finding new abilities.
0: Yes. And, And you know, really having only that mode. I mean, all the people who I admire, all of my mentors and even people who I don't know who I look up to in, in other fields of life uh, they have only one way of approaching what they do, which is to do it exceptionally well. There's no sort of 75% option. And I, to me, I, in fact, I was just talking to my team about this on a project that I'm doing now. You know, it's it's approaching everything you do in with the understanding that you're going to make it the best thing that you've ever done to that point.
2: Yeah. How you do one thing is how you do everything. And I've seen it. You know, you, my daughter's interested in music. You invite us up to edit your film with you. My son likes It's a Small World. Oh, by the way, Jed's grandfather wrote the song It's a Small World and Mary Poppins and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And I get the sheet music for It's a Small World with that 45-minute CD that was torturous and a little handwritten note. Just how, how you are a friend is how you are a movie maker is how you are a student. You don't go to Berkeley and Columbia if you're not working hard. And Jed and I aren't the smartest people in the world. Um, it's about work in addition to smarts, but before we get into all that, Jed, and this is going to be the dangerous part before we get into, how do you win some Emmys? How do you get nominated for an Oscar? How do you set yourself up as an independent filmmaker with clients like Netflix, Showtime, CNN, Peacock, all the greats. We got to go back. We got to go way back to a very dangerous, dangerous part of this conversation. Jed Rothstein, what were you like in high school? What was life like for you in high school? Did you see your path? How'd you find your path?
0: I was into music. I was in a band. I had really long hair. I was a singer. I did well in, in school, especially in the topics I liked. I did well in, in history and uh, in English and humanities. Um, did pretty well in things like biology, less well in, in math. That was always a bit more of a struggle for me. Um, but I tried to, to work pretty hard. Um, I had a good time. As you remember, we had a good time together doing a lot of stuff, but I always, I always did try to keep a serious focus on being present in, you know, not just physically, but mentally present in my studies and in other things. I did model UN. I liked that a lot. Um, And, you know, tried to take that stuff seriously. My father always had a sort of agreement with me that as long as I did my job which in his mind was my schoolwork, as long as i did that well i had a lot of freedom and if i started to slack off or, or not do my work well then i you know he constricted my life a bit so i tried to stay on the i tried to stay on the ball with that and focus on it and um enjoy it and really learn from things we were fortunate enough to go to a good school where i had a lot of opportunities to learn new things and to learn from some great people and, and meet some great friends
2: yeah. Strangely enough. And I, I lived at the same time as Jed and uh, experienced uh, many of the same experiences. I, I just never remember you being in a band. I never remember that at all. I just don't recall left, that. I
0: think because you're because you're a couple I'm years a older, older
2: and yeah. it was my sort of junior and senior year. Okay, so I don't remember that you had to have done well though, because you went to Berkeley. So I think you're underplaying how hard you studied and how much effort you put in. And it was a very hard school. It wasn't just a hard school. It was one of the hardest schools in the country, um, one of the most prestigious schools. It's in New Mexico, but it is. And you did really well. You must have done really well at that school, right?
0: Yeah, I, I studied hard. I worked hard. I was also into. You know, I remember leading protests against the um, against the first Iraq War, right, which was so short that I think by the time we led the protest, the war ended like 48 hours later, I, I can't take credit for it, but we were, we were, <laughs> yeah, we were, we, we felt like we were engaged at the time. Obviously the world has become a, a infinitely more complex place uh, with some serious issues, but I, yeah, you know, I, I, I like to work hard mostly I, like any kid, you know, there's times where you're distracted or just wanted to watch TV or kind of hang out with your friends. But I did, I did work reasonably hard. And I I certainly was able to, I think I'm someone who responds well to, to both deadlines and to projects that can be realized It's probably why I got into filmmaking. So, you know, the nice thing about filmmaking is you start with nothing. And then you imagine what this thing's going to be. And then you bring together all these collaborators and you make something at the end of it, there's a thing that exists. And even in smaller chunks throughout the process of doing it, you, you have very discrete things that you have to create or produce that don't exist. And for me, it's much easier to kind of wrap my head around that. It's almost like, you know, there's a, there's a physicality to it and a simplicity to it that I like. I, I, it was always harder for me to kind of enter into endless tasks and. Retain the patience to sort of move a little bit at a time, whereas in, in filmmaking you have these chunks of like, okay, you have to shoot this scene, you shoot it and then it's done, and then you can move on to the next one. You have to shoot this interview, you shoot it and then it's done. You move on to the next one. And in the larger sense, the film doesn't exist and then it does, and that that sort of concrete visibility of the achievement made it easier for me to follow through and kind of put my nose to the grindstone and get stuff done. And, and I still sort of operate that way even many years later. Okay, so you're so
2: back in high school, and I, I I don't know if Matt's gonna listen to this, but I don't think he's going to remember it the way you do either. Uh, you were basically trying different things, so you had the you had the music thing going, you got the run and the protest going. I think you were in Were you didn't you do a newspaper or something like that?
0: Uh, I, we did an underground newspaper myself and and some friends, yeah, the we did underground well, the newspaper. Underground, the un- the underground is what it was literally called. Oh, yeah, called. the underground. That's right. Yeah, a
2: variety of jobs. So you're trying
0: different things, and you start to
2: see you kind of like this project, You, uh, this project-based. You like this creativity. Interesting, just as a side note, as I talk to you, and I don't know if you know this, but Mira's books are right there. I have two of them that are Excellent. at an angle, and they're, they're always looking at me. I don't know why I just like you and Mira. So uh, shout out to Mira Jacob, who's a uh, gent- wife who's also very creative, wrote a book called Good Talk, which I strongly recommend, that may have become a TV show or will become a TV show, is a professor for master students at the New School, wrote the autobiography of Kenneth Cole and a few other books, a very creative family. Mira didn't know, I mean, Mira knew she was a writer back then, you didn't know you were a movie producer i also married somebody from the same high school so very strange a few of these uh we all moved to different places and found each other yeah. later. later it's very weird um but yeah. jed you know i knew a, one little side note that you're not going to mention jed's yeah. dad he mentioned his dad um, was very good at instilling confidence so we talk about mentorship on this program and my dad's a mentor to me and maybe my dad's a mentor to you and your dad's a mentor you to you and you know your dad was a mentor to me But I was kind of a little bit of a mess. Jed was well, Jed was messy when it comes to being a clean person. He was as sloppy as you've ever. You've never seen a more disgusting car than Jed's car with more trash in it. I still just have nightmares about getting into that car because I'm so anal retentive. (laughs) But internally, he wasn't as much of a mess. I was kind of a mess. And. People knew it. And Jed's dad would always, he called me senator. He always referred to me as senator. And there was something in that little confidence that he gave me that allowed me to kind of come out of the sloppy mess that I was in and become productive with my energy instead of destructive with my energy. I did steal his Rolls Royce once before that happened. And God knows what else I did. Uh, But you had this mentorship in high school. You kind of had this exploration you're going. And then you go off to Berkeley to study anthropology. And the reason why I want to talk to you, Jed, isn't because. Because of the titles and the and the awards it's because you found this passion early and you you kind of like culture kind of like history you kind of like sociology and it came together in this study of anthropology which has got to be on the list of least paying majors you could ever take in college so you're an anthropology major And somehow that spins into documentary filmmaking. So walk us through. It looks like in high school, you were trying to get ahead. You were trying to explore. You get to college. Are you still exploring or were you consciously trying to get ahead and consciously set yourself up? And that's first question. Second question is, how does anthropology go into filmmaking?
0: Well, uh, I was always trying to, you know, focus on, you know, college was a great opportunity to immerse myself in this incredibly rich world of ideas and and new people. Uh, I was very lucky to be able to go where I went uh, to Berkeley. And so I was just really, I was sort of blown away. I mean, I remember walking around the campus and and going into the classes, even the big freshman classes at a school like Berkeley, there could be hundreds of people in a big freshman uh, lecture course. But I still, to me, it was like going to rock concerts. I mean, these professors were the rock stars of this campus and i had a friend who was really a couple years older who i had met and he was really into anthropology and we started doing little anthropological missions we went to uh some cult meetings not because we wanted to really join a cult but because we were kind of just doing anthropology on it and we did some other things that were made me feel like anthropology was combined this idea of learning about people and how people interact with one another, which is sort of what you do in, in history, but also adding a, a sense of adventure and mission to it and going into different groups, different subcultures. In the case of what we were doing, it was all pretty local, uh, of people and and being able to sort of marvel at the, at the human condition. I always try to, when I make a film or when I do a project, I always try to do it usually from a a place of love or at least love or at least respect and and, uh, respect and deference to the people that I'm filming with. And I I feel like anthropology kind of opened a way to, to be fascinated by many different people and many different things and, and have, uh, have all of them sort of be my teachers in a way. I have a good friend who reminds me sometimes. She always says that, um, you know, anyone can be your teacher. And she didn't tell this to me till I was probably 40. But when she said it, I thought, oh, this is really accurate. And this is how my I sort of approach so many things in my life. So I, I just enjoy the chance to understand what makes other people tick. And hopefully from that, contribute some, some knowledge that will help us all understand one another and hopefully get along a little better in this very complicated and, and fraught world that we live in. So
2: you got the projects and the people and the fostering change and the creativity that's starting to form. And I know you're preparing this for secure to listen. We'll leave all the other stuff out. That's starting to form while you're in high school and you start, and you start to get these kind of feelings in your belly, this, I like this kind of thing. And then you go into college. And what I hear in college is it moves to diving in a little bit further than what everybody else does it's a little cooler like you find these cool things to do like we're going to go see what it's like to join a cult and i i i went to a religious revival once and you know the healers and just try these different things get deeper do more than everybody else it's you're exploring you're looking for you're looking for the teacher and then you're looking for what you can contribute and what you can spread so i guess what you're saying is the career is built by past loves And maybe maybe you were paying attention more, more aware, more engaged. Were you actively registering? Okay, I love this project thing. I love this people thing. I love this creativity thing. I like this exploring that I did. I like this digging. Were you actively registering and writing a journal or did it just start to feel good and somehow you put it together and realize this is going to be a right fit? How do you know what you like? over the course of 8 years and put it into the right fit for a career. What was your process?
0: Well, um, I so one of the things I did is I would go every week. I think there was one day a week where I either had only one class or no classes or something, the way that college schedules work out. And I would go that day. I would go into San Francisco, and I would go to a different neighborhood and explore. And I would take photos, and I would keep a journal, and I would go to a cafe and write, and I would... Speak to people and kind of look around, and it was really fast. You know, San Francisco is a beautiful city, and it has all these varied neighborhoods. Certainly, it did at the time, which was really a great. It was very different and magical for me because Albuquerque. Albuquerque has its charms, but it doesn't doesn't have quite the same feeling of dense well-defined urban neighborhoods that feel really different one to the next i mean it it does have different neighborhoods but not not with the same geographic intensity and cultural differentiation of san francisco so i would take these little journeys and i would make these little memoirs about them and then little visual memoirs and i got into photography and and all of that is sort of what led me to not just anthropology but to documenting it well to documenting it and to ethnographic film, which was sort of the the subspecialty of anthropology that I did, which is basically documentaries I mean ethnographic film is basically i mean it started out years ago um, in some ways in a more problematic framework with films made by anthropologists in, in different colonies, and there's all sorts of important scholarship about that but in in the modern era, it just means you know documentaries about people and so I got into making films as part of anthropology. And the first film that we did was about uh, women's punk groups in the Bay Area. Um, and it, you know, again, it was diving into this world that was not something that I knew a whole lot about. I met some really fascinating people. I learned about what made them tick, and the, the struggles they faced, and the, the triumphs they had. And uh, I don't know if that film is very good or not, but I made it with a couple of friends in school. And um, it was, for me, a real opportunity to see that not only could you do this course of study, but you could do work that would be ho- hopefully translatable to people in a broad way. And I think that what steered me towards film and away from formal anthropology is I felt like you could write these anthropological studies and they'd sit on a library shelf and they're important pieces of scholarship, but they're not they're never going to be very broadly read or very rarely do they make hit a broad audience. And I thought film is is such a great way to communicate these same ideas, but in a way that can reach more people. And that also sort of hit, for me, a more creative and opened up some more creative and fun opportunities uh, to use the medium of cinema to really sort of bring people in and and make things, make stories that are driven primarily by emotional response instead of intellectual response. I mean, anthropological Treatises can get very intellectual. So that sort of steered me from through anthropology to ethnographic film. And then at a certain point, I was like, well, why should I even make films about real people? Why don't I just make it up? You know, and that's what drew, drew me to actually go and study fiction film, uh, which I did at Columbia for a while. And then actually had the chance to go to, I went for a year and a half to graduate school. and I dropped out. I never finished Columbia. I never finished my master's. Uh, because I had the chance to go back and make documentaries and travel around the world, the first, the first uh, jobs that I had took me to half a dozen countries doing documentaries again, and that sort of set me back on this path of making docs. Which I always felt, I always felt like making a fiction film. Fiction filmmakers come to a river and they need to cross. It's like an army with a corps of engineers and they build a giant pontoon bridge and they roll all the tanks and trucks over the river and they blaze a trail through the forest and the documentarians kind of show up with two or three people and a little boat in the middle of the night and they sneak across and climb through the woods and like kind of get into the you know get into the native cities and and get to meet people in a more normal way and hang out with them and blend in and to me that was it was just a little more adventurous and it fit my personal style. And I'm not saying it's better or worse. It just kind of fit my style a little more.
2: Okay. So uh, we got it. This shows about how people figuring out their careers and figuring out their style and figuring out what's out there that they haven't thought about. And, you know, somebody's yeah. sitting there thinking, oh, I may be interested in that, but you're going a little further. And I just want to pause for a second. Sure, excellent. Sure. People do excellent things in a consistently excellent manner. Kind of what you said before, how you do one thing is how you do everything. They do Mm -hmm. it differently. They try new things and they explore. Most people don't take their day off and go into the city and explore different neighborhoods and try a new hobby of photography. And then most people, if they do do that, don't sit down and document what they were thinking. And most people don't journal. And most people don't um, write down what they're passionate about, what they're good at. So you can stop right now if you're driving in your car. You're going too fast anyway. Don't write anything down while you're driving. We don't want any accidents. But what are you doing with your free time? Is it Instagram? What are you doing that's new and different that you can go out and explore new try new things out? Try something different, do something a little differently. What is everybody else doing? And then do something that they're not doing. Everybody was sitting at Berkeley smoking weed, playing the bongo drums in this big circle that no <laughs> longer exists. They built a big building on it. And Jed left and braved the Bart. And went and explored and found out, oh, I like this. And he knew that he might like it because he's studying anthropology. So he's like, okay. so if you're studying history, go to another country and dig deep. Or you don't even need to go to an old town or an old building if you can't go to another country. If you're studying biology, go into the wilderness and see how you feel about mammals and reptiles. Um, so you're out there, you're kind of, it's that extra 10% that excellent people do. People leave at 90%. And what is the last 10%? You got to go figure it out. So before we get into Columbia, and we're going to get into what filmmakers do and how you do it and where the money comes from and all that, I ask, is Akir, Je- got to ask, Zakir Jed's got a son that lives in New York, that at 13 years old is cruising around on the subway, and the kids started putting together events. And- publicizing the events and built an events business. And I think he's had three, three, three. I mean, he had a whole bunch of ideas. Maybe he's had 20 ideas, but he's actually created a revenue stream in at least three different revenue streams.
0: He did. Yeah. He did create a couple of businesses. Um, They did well. Event planning Uh, was one. So one was called uh, pink certified, which was the events business. I uh, did promotions with local stores, and he did ran a couple of basketball tournaments. And then he could oh, then he did one called um, Brooklyn by Kids, which was sort of like a a local task rabbit where he he and his buddy kind of coded this little app, which was very nice and simple. And you could go on and ask for a, a task to be done. It could be babysitting, it could be cleaning out a yard, it could be moving some furniture from here to there. And, and every
2: and every customer was
0: vetted to make
2: sure that they weren't going to, you know, kidnap kids, which was cool. Yeah,
0: yeah, you know, it was a lot of uh, in the community stuff. It was vetted. So it, was, it was vetted. Yeah, okay. it was. All, they were all vetted. It yeah. was vetted. Yeah, and um, th- that was great. And he did he did that for a while, and he ran those. And then when this fall, when he started high school, this really pretty rigorous uh, and fantastic public art school in in New York, where he goes, we. Told them they to kind of it's called LaGuardia. Yeah, it's called the, the, the Guardia. School, the school, school for of, fame. The movie Fame, right? Yes, it is the Fame School. But, yeah. But my question is. We told him to cool off on those because he just has so much in school. Okay, so that's even better. You told him to cool nice.
2: off on this. So he's now following this one artistic passion and, and getting yeah. his grades. So what do you do? With, I mean, this is pretty crazy, Jen. I was there. I watched it all happen. Okay. Jed's going to Berkeley. Okay. Jed's going to yeah. Columbia. Oh, all of a sudden Jed's making these movies. And then he would send me the movies in videotape form, which I didn't realize some of them I had the only copy of. And then he'd have yeah. to hound me yeah. to send them back. What do you do to make sure that he's aware and he's becoming conscious of, as you said before, what are your passions? What do you like? And then what are you doing to make sure that he's sitting down and reflecting and journaling and then diving deeper in new and interesting ways? Because he is doing it. Are you doing something to foster that? Or is it just a genetic thing and all my listeners should give up? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, I hope that Mira and I, that my wife and I are um, doing things to foster his growth. I, I I believe we are, but he does have a lot of independent drive and he, even now he, so he put the businesses on ice, but he's, he started a band and he gets band gigs. You know, he's a good, he's a oh, person, who's yeah, very really entrepreneurial. Yeah. Hey, I so forgot about he, that too. He likes to, um, Put things together and put people together. And, you know, one, actually, one of the things that we do do for him, I think, uh, or I know we do it. I think it helps him, I should say. I know that we're doing it and I hope it's helpful. Is sometimes he puts these things together and, like anything where you're putting a lot of teenagers together to do, like one time it was a basketball tournament, one time it was one of his, his band gigs that he had set up. They all started And, sex. Uh, I, I don't know. That's a different podcast. <laughs> but uh, I just no, trying I to make. Ne- a, I've never heard you no, so the, serious. So I'm trying to throw a little
2: non-serious no, yeah. in there. Okay. What happens when you put teenagers <laughs> together? Uh, I
0: don't they're, know. Yeah, they're not. They. I don't think they're having sex at the gigs, as far as I know. But you know, they're teenagers, so they flake sometimes. And then a couple of times they flaked. You know, the day before, the morning of, and he said, "Ah, oh, forget it. I'm not. I'm just not going to do it." And and Mira and I always sat him down and pressed him to say, look, you made this commitment. You're the leader this. You got to follow through. You got to find some other people or you got to get those people back or you got to make some other arrangements. And maybe you have to stay up late or get up early to figure that out. But that's, that's part of the deal. You can't just, just cause they flake, you can't flake. And, and, and he really did kind of with a little bit of prodding on our part, like stick to it, you know? And, um, persevere and i think that's that's a really tough thing to learn it's a really tough thing to learn i still have to remind myself to persevere through tough times and so i think we've taught him that i hope uh, or we're or we're in the process of still teaching it to him and it seems to it seems to help him
2: so we're going to come out of columbia um, where you had you had these life experiences that you were paying attention to that you're engaged with and you're kind of moving into this making real films about real people already before was it rory kennedy that plucked you out of Columbia?
0: uh no i mean i did i did work with roy she was a great early mentor but she i did not pluck me out of there I, I kind of did a couple other jobs and then came to work for her through a, a connection of a friend basically or I was okay. introduced to her through through a friend and then started working there.
2: so you're already kind of teetering on the i want to make films about real things real people i'm an anthropologist i'm fascinated by culture someone comes in and says hey why don't you come working now? And then you move into becoming a full-time director, no backup job, no backup anything. You're diving in with both feet. How does that happen? Because you hear the stories
0: about the waiters and how do you how do you end up diving well, straight in professionally? So it's a little different than that, Matt. It was so I started as what's called an associate producer, which is a very important job on documentary. You're kind of the person who in my case, in these small independent outlets, sort of finds all the characters, secures the characters, makes the shoot happen, sets it all up. I had great mentors and great experience. And uh, I did that for a number of projects. And then, of course, I had always wanted to direct. Uh, and I had done some directing in, in school. And I got actually through Rory, I, I produced, kind of moved up the chain of producing and produced a big international film for, Ro- for Rory. And called pandemic. Called Pandemic. On HBO. And, uh, on HBO. It was my first like co-producer credit, which was a Which won an credit. Academy Award nomination, right? Uh that one did not win an Academy Award nomination. I mean it's a very nice film, but it, it didn't uh didn't i mean probably got some other awards but i don't don't
2: know if you noticed this i know typically when we hang out we're kind of on this peer basis and we're equals in this show it's my show so if i say something that's not factual i just have to go with it it. it. so you won an academy award with rory kennedy for pandemic keep going right
0: okay
1: are you enjoying the show thus far We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disc assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast now back to the show
0: uh after that academy award i decided the sky's the limit no i am um, <laughs> i but i then i wanted to direct and so then i got the chance at rory and kennedy and liz garbus's company to to direct uh my first project which was about women with aids in the u.s and it was very you know it was a life-changing experience i met some people who were really going through some difficult moments and was able to get to share their stories. And in the process, also kind of learn about directing. And actually, I remember something that Rory told me that I never forget when I think about what it means to do my job, which is I had to write up a sort of plan of of the film. And I gave her the first draft of it and said, here's what I'm thinking of doing. And she kind of took it and she, we were sitting in this, we ha, they had these great offices at the time that kind of looking over the, looking west on a high floor and you could sort of see almost to the harbor and the sun was coming in. She was sitting there with sunglasses on, You know, she was facing out and I was facing her, facing at her desk. And she looked at this thing for a minute and she kind of threw it back at me. She's like, what the fuck is this? You're a director. You need to have a vision. I want a vision. I don't want you to tell me a plan of what you're going to do. I want a vision. Like, go back and give me a vision. And at the time it was kind of harsh, but actually it was kind of brilliant advice because she was totally correct. And it stuck with me that that job is a different job. It's a job of envisioning what the story is gonna be. That's sort of the primary job of the director. Isn't that the job of a producer? A producer certainly envisions stuff as well, but in terms of really the core crafting of, you know, if you could imagine, putting in your head a full visual movie of what's actually going to happen and what it's going to look like and sound like and feel like in in granular detail that's really the director's job and your job is to come up with that and then figure out a way to work with your team to make it happen and to translate that vision to all of your collaborators like cinematographers the, the other producers that work in it um the composers when you get to that point editors uh, actors, if you're using actors, and or have reenactments in the case of documentaries. So the the director's job is to hold that vision and keep twisting all these knobs um, on the machine and working with all these collaborators to uh, to make that thing a reality and to inspire the collaborators. A lot of it, you know, the most fun uh, part of my job is working with super creative people in their different roles who take my ideas and make them better in their own specific way.
2: I watched it happen happen in the, in the fine tuning of Rudy working with the the master, the sound and video master on the board and listening to these two go back and forth. Wait, did you hear that? And together, these just creative geniuses coming together and adjusting—and literally, there's hundreds of knobs and buttons to, <laughs> yeah. to, to create. And and the, the movie Rudy's yeah. on. Is it on what? What? Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Rudy. It's a musical documentary, and it's really wonderful. Go look it up on Amazon Prime. Rudy by Jed Rothstein. Um, so you are working in your first job, you've got this mentorship and you mentioned these mentors and we mentioned your dad. How do you, how do you take someone that's trying hard to help you and giving you maybe harsh advice through sunglasses and, (laughs) you know, probably has quite a few Jed's running around and get that mentor to help you go to the next level. What did you do with Rory Kennedy um, and the only reason I know her name is because I'm related to her distantly. Since I'm also a Kennedy, I just don't get any, of the, I just don't get the checks.
0: And yeah. you have a daughter named Kennedy, so
2: yeah, because my so grandfather's name was Edward Kennedy. Did you know my grandfather's name was Edward Kennedy?
0: Coincidentally, <laughs> yeah. we're all from yeah, Ireland, yeah, they just came to America. <laughs> my family
2: stayed there. Um, so, know that. so how do you go? I didn't know you were in a band. How do you go from this mentee production associate producer to director? What did you do to get the attention of the mentor to get
0: them to have a vision and a belief in you? Well, I two things. One is I, I understood and I got definitely got this from my dad that there's times that you have to be assertive and you know you got to play every situation differently, but you certainly have to sort of. Be assertive and grasp for what you want and make it known that you want it and be aware of opportunities that come up within whatever business you're in and, and you know, jump for them. You have to sort of, sometimes you have to, you know, take it upon yourself to make your own weather in a system. And so part of it's being, I don't, you know, aggressive is a, a harder sounding word, but certainly assertive. Okay, you know, what? You know what, what it's you aggressive? Yeah. It's aggressive yeah.
2: when you're no good. It's assertive right. when you're good. That's the that's right. The defining right.
0: That's a good dial. I'll buy that. I'll go with that distinction. That's a good one. So but then the specific way that I that it worked out for me is I had been, you know, from high school and um, college. I had had good teachers and I was pretty good at writing. I was a good writer. I could write stories. I could write treatments, which are the, the basically the prose story of what a documentary is going to be. And especially before you've made it, you're sort of, it is kind of really more fictional because you're making up what you think is, you're envisioning what you think is going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. So it's basically writing these little stories. And I was really good at that. And they needed people to, they needed someone to write these stories to get money, to basically get grants from, uh, in, the, in the case of the pandemic, it was from the Gates Foundation. And there were other projects that were from other places. And I did that really well. And that, those grants that I wrote succeeded in getting a lot of money for those films. And so for them, I made myself very useful because not everybody can, you know, a lot of people can write. Not that many people can write something well enough to really raise millions of dollars off it. And so by doing that, um, and also by finding characters who were very, very hard to find, I made myself you know, pretty valuable to them. And so when these projects that I was working on were done and other things, other opportunities were coming down the pipe, I let it be known that I wanted to direct and they had a a small project that they were willing to take a chance on me with. Um, And I remember even before that, you know, if you're sharing this with younger people, it's like when, if you do an internship, if you have any kind of role in a place, you should either be exceptional at it and blow people away with your awesomeness, or you might as well just not bother. There's no point in kind of going in and being half-assed because they'll never ask you back. They'll never offer you another job. They'll never give you a good recommendation and you're just wasting your time. So whenever I had these early internships, you know, I can trace all my jobs back to the first internship I ever had because I just, you know, I I took it very seriously. I, I did really good work and stayed up late or got up early or whatever it is that I had to do at the time to do it and then people see you in there, it's partly because they want to, they want to work with you because you're helping them. And it's partly because you're, you're making yourself indispensable. And in in these, I mean, film is not different than any other job. It's right. You need good people all throughout an organization. So if they recognize that in you, they want to cultivate that. It's, it's partly out of goodwill and it's also partly out of kind of a selfishness of wanting the organization to be better.
2: So if you're if you're paying attention, yeah. you make yourself valuable. You make yourself incredibly valuable. If you're mopping floors, those floors are
0: shiny. Yeah, mopping the best, right? Yeah,
1: mopping the exactly. best. Exactly. Some
0: of the jobs, you know, some of the jobs, the earlier jobs were. You know, there are parts of it that were creative and fun, and there are parts of it that were not. It's like booking all the hotels and booking all the rental cars and. Calling up some guy for the 11th time because something didn't go, some technical thing didn't go right. I mean, these are not the most glamorous things, but they're important because if they don't get done right, then the process doesn't work.
2: Yeah, you don't take the first hotel because the first hotel is the easiest. The third hotel takes a little work, but it's a better deal and it's a nice hotel. You're making the movie Pandemic and it was about the AIDS pandemic, right? Correct, yeah, and, you, and you're the associate producer, which I know you weren't, but if you were and you're finding characters, it's not, I mean, any character would be good, but you go the extra mile to find the great ones and you don't yeah. take, you don't turn over one stone and stop. You turn over many stones. So those people that are mentoring you and working with you understand that you, how you do one thing is how you do everything that you don't just do 75% like Jed says everything goes a hundred percent you make yourself so valuable that they don't want to let you go and then assertively not arrogantly you can ask for what you want and jed already knew he kind of wanted to do this director thing because he tried out stuff and we already covered that get off your couch quit quit watch your football why are you watching football you're not on the team you don't even live in the city anymore go out and explore and do something so You started, you you did the exploring, you did the something, you you start working at that, at that, at that company with those two partners. Eventually you went off on your own. And so part of your job is directing, which you just covered, set the vision, hold the vision, what it's going to look like, sound like, feel like. Then you do a hundred percent to make it happen. Um, You left and then went into your own business for a while,
0: right? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, um. I did do that. Um, and then you came back. Well, I, it's not so much that I came back; it's that I, I had worked. I, I so I started directing. I worked with a couple of different companies that were great and made some great films. Um, I still uh, produced a couple of very big films with Liz and Rory too at that, kind of overlapping at that same time. I went to a couple other companies. This is normal in film; you bounce around a lot more than you do in some other. Profession. Yeah. In accounting and film, this you bounce around, and I didn't know that about accounting. Really, yeah. like you go yeah, because from- there's only
2: so many people, so you're constantly moving laterally into other companies in hmm. accounting. Okay,
0: yeah. very interesting. I didn't know that, but uh, I did. um You know, after I got the Oscar nomination, I went off and raised money for my next film by myself, totally independently. Um, and that film was, you know, all these films have been life-changing for me in a way, the experience of making them. This one was called before the spring, after the fall, and it was set amongst these rock bands in Egypt before and, and during and after the, uh, the Arab spring the, and the Tahrir square revolution in Cairo. So it was really a fascinating time to be and so there. Your,
2: your life is and I'm going to interrupt you. Your life is a constant interruption. You're going in one path, and then something happens, and you seize the moment. And then you're going in and out. You see this buddy, and you're going to go into anthropology. This uh, free day, and you're going to go into San Francisco. This new Columbia degree, and you're going to leave um, the feature film that you were going to do. And it's just a constant interruption and change. And so you're in Egypt filming a documentary about musicians in Egypt. And with no knowledge to you before you set out to Egypt, with no, with no warning, the Arab Spring broke out in the square you were filming in at the moment you were filming. Isn't that how it happened?
0: Uh, it wasn't quite that immediate, but that sounds better.
1: <laughs>
0: After I accumulated my piles of Oscars, then Tiger Square broke out around me. Um, I have had kind of things like that recently, some, somewhere I'm trying to think, but that, but what did happen is I was filming with these kids in these rock bands, a couple of the kids, parents were politicians, opposition politicians, and they were involved in, they were deeply involved in what was going on, um, in the square. And so when things, I had already started filming with them, the revolution started and I went back out there. Um, and then came back and forth. Actually, some of this was happening during the time when the Oscars were going on. And I, I missed part, I didn't miss the ceremony, but I missed like part of the pre-ceremony things that other events that happened earlier in that month, because I was, I was in Cairo. And I had this other project I was supposed to deliver for MTV. I mean, I had a lot of stuff going on at that time. It was pretty crazy. But um, that uh, that film was, uh, you know, it's a film I'm proud of. It was hard to make, and I found myself spending so much time raising money to make it and to fund it and to finish it that I just, I just realized like this is not the way that I want to spend my time. It's you didn't not like allowing that part. me to, I didn't like that part. It didn't allow me to do to focus on as much of the creative work as I like. Uh, I didn't make enough money doing it to sort of sustain myself, honestly. And so I just, when that finished, um, my wife had sold a book, we moved to Spain for a little while, kind of took a sabbatical um, and came back. And I realized that if I wanted to have a sustainable career, I had to sort of think of it a different way to do it. And so I said, well, what do I really like? What I really like is directing. What I don't like is raising money from all the different places you have to raise money. So i need to find a partner a producing partner who will help me do that and one of the great ways to kind of jumpstart that is to just go and uh start be, you know join the guild and become a director for hire and so that's what i did and I, that's when i went to jigsaw where i ended up finding another great mentor alex gibney who's a great great filmmaker and got jobs directing episodes of series for hire and you know similarly although i was at a different stage in my career I did really well with them. And then when a film came up there and they needed a director, they they put me forward for it. And I got that and I made that became China Hustle, which was a really interesting journey to take as a director. And that film did did well. And, you know, one thing leads to another. But I, I was in a position where I had a much bigger infrastructure behind me that could raise the money, uh, that could take care of the production. So it's actually like, it's the difference between like, trying to glue together your own wooden car because it's exactly how you want it and then using your feet like fred flintstone to like push it down the street or going to a car dealership and having them say we'll give you this nice porsche and you just have to focus on driving and so for me it was sort of like that i was able to just have a much much um uh, better vehicle to pilot in my process because i didn't have to personally glue every stick of it together it was a Made by people who who are expert at making it, and I just had to drive it, and that that was sort of my feeling when I made that shift. And honestly, that's that's basically still where I'm at. I mean, now I have a, a great producing partner that I've done my last few films with, and and, and uh, you know I'm a little more involved with him in the sense that we cook things up together and we go out and pitch them together, and so I, I do have more of a part in raising the money on some level. But you know his his company. And he's actually out your way in LA. Um, his company, uh, you know, is great. And they kind of manage the whole production logistics side of it in a way that's much better than I could do myself. And I can maintain my own little infrastructure here in New York. I have a small office with some other filmmakers, and it's a great spot for me. And it's a you know, 15 minute walk from my house. And I come here and make my movies, and I have my core team around me. I get to collaborate with great people. But I had to realize that about myself. I think, you know, Matt, I think I was kind of chasing my dad. My dad was very entrepreneurial and he was a business. I mean, he was a doctor, but he was also a businessman. And he was always stressing the value of that side of things. And I think for a while, I was sort of chasing that. Like I had to be a completely entrepreneurial person. And I realized that that was, that's a great thing. You know, entrepreneurship is wonderful. I think it is a good value. But my you know, my affinity your and my, unique my ability, you know what I mean? Yeah. My, my unique ability is something else.
2: It's Unique you know, ability for, for you listening right now is what you're awesome at and can even be better at. And you love, and you love, and that's the key because if you love it, it's not work. If you love it, you'll do it in your sleep. If you love it, it doesn't matter. Like what you're, you hang out with people and you're doing it all the time. So you're naturally going to be better. So you, you, you have to develop a pedigree. Uh, to get any anybody to take you seriously, and that comes from accomplishments. And then you specialize. If you do that, if you if you don't have the pedigree yet, you got to try everything. Then you get to specialize and focus on what you're awesome at and you love your unique ability. I do just want to just flag that again. Your life is a series of interruptions that you respect. So I I, I watch a lot of people on communication. I say just slow down, pause. Let them interrupt you. And maybe we say that to the listeners right now. Slow down. Pause. Let life interrupt you. And when it does, it's like you're swimming. Pop your head up, look around. Maybe there's something better there for you to focus on that's more tied to what you want to specialize in, more tied to uh, what you can go that extra ten percent and go to one hundred percent on. You mentioned a bunch of movies, The China Hustle, which Forbes called the most important film of two thousand and eighteen. Interesting film that. Where do where do they find the China Hustle?
0: I I met. Where do people find it now? It's on Hulu.
2: Sorry, on Hulu. Hulu. So the China Hustle, most important film of two thousand eighteen on Hulu. Before the spring, after the fall, we talked about uh, which broke out in Egypt. The Oscar that uh, Jed was missing the ceremony for. uh, The film's called Killing in the Name, and that the very interesting story following a victim of an Al Qaeda terrorist attack who happened to be Muslim into. The training camps of the terrorists that blew up his wedding and killed many members of his family while being a jewish american as jed is and we won't get into the story of the life threats and things like that but i mean jed's going deep into dangerous places and um far away lands terrorist camps in indonesia um and so his wife says okay time to come home sweetie pie uh we have a baby and now it's shifted a little bit now we've got rudy and all sorts of shows What exactly does a director do? Someone listening right now, maybe I want to be a director. What exactly? You've got the vision.
0: um, Right. Well, you have to envision it at the start, and and then then you have to gather a team of really creative people around you cinematographers, uh, creative producers, um, uh, editors, composers, um, all sorts of people who have really important roles in the film. And then when you're out in the field, you have to. Direct the filming. So it depends on the type of film. Some of them are verite films. So that's following action that's unfolding in front of you. Some of them are more structured, like uh, interviews and set pieces. Sometimes you have pretty significant recreation elements that are basically like making a little independent fiction film. You know, you're just setting up scenes and you have set designers and um, uh, art directors and uh, a lot of crew and a lot of equipment and you're actors and you're just directing the actors. So it can be all of those things, but at the end of the day, you're the person who, again, has this vision and has to communicate that to all these people that are working with you. And people just come, you know, usually on a set, the director sort of interacts most with the key, the key producer, the assistant director, the cam the director of photography, who's the camera person. And people are coming up to you all day with questions. You know, should it be like this? Should it red or green? Blue or yellow? You know far or near? How do you want this to look? So you have to sort of be able to, and it took a while for me to sort of make myself comfortable in that and calm and not sort of freaking out when people are asking you a hundred questions at once and things move very fast, especially either it's real life and it's moving fast because it's verite. Then you don't have many, you have a much smaller crew, but things are happening or it's a more controlled set where you're filming big recreations or something and it moves fast because it's expensive. So everything has to happen quickly. You got to be calm and composed and keep keep your vision and, and remind, you know, keep it in the center of your brain and be able to communicate it clearly and make sure it happens. You know, it's like, you know how you go to a business meeting and people are always like, okay, what are the action right. items?
2: Everything you just said was, a, and I just, I was about to throw my yellow flag. I'm looking around for my yellow flag. I don't have it. So I'll just yellow highlighter. Uh, I think your dad was right. Because what you just outlined, and by the way, you should have done the CollegeWorks internship, you would have picked up the whole directing thing a lot faster. Because what you just outlined, yeah, you should have, I told you. Uh, You outlined exactly what it means to be a business person or an entrepreneur. You have a vision, you build a team, you have to manage the team. Directing is making sure people are doing their jobs well, building a culture, helping uh, people excel in their jobs, helping people achieve individual excellence, helping empower people to make their own decisions. So you don't get asked red or green again. The only thing you left out, the only differences are you're holding a camera and other people are holding, you know, a factory machine or whatever they're holding. And you have to, you get the opportunity to go edit all the work you did in a studio later on. They don't. They're just going to move on and do something else. Which is right. you get to come in and cut out all the bad stuff. God, I know. <laughs> I, I wish I could do that. Well, I, yeah. I'm just looking at the clock here. I'm going to cut off the answer at that because I think that does a pretty good job, and I want to save time for my favorite question. Yeah, when I said Jed is my oldest friend, I mean we're lifelong best friends. So uh, we we talk all the time. We see each other all the time. I just saw him in New Mexico. I go to New York. So I've been there for just about everything. And I, my favorite question to ask people is back in time, you made a sacrifice and many mm-hmm. people, this came from people don't make enough sacrifices. They got to go to every party, every game, every whatever. And the next thing, you know, life's passed by and they've done nothing. So you made right, some right. sacrifices early in life that helped enable you to get where you are. Um, and, you know, you mentioned one of them, you, you, you went one path and decided you didn't want to do the feature film thing and left Business school. That's probably a sacrifice you're film school, not, yeah. sorry, film school. Yeah. That's probably a sacrifice you're really happy you made. What's the bigger sacrifice you made when you look back? And at the time it was a sacrifice, you look back and you say,
0: Thank goodness I did that. Well, I think it was this, you know, this one film when I was producing the uh, pandemic with Rory and I had to go out and find these characters and I met this one young woman named Leck in Thailand, and she was dying of AIDS and she was dying of uh, tuberculosis, which is a horrific disease. I don't know. You know, you don't see people dying of that that often in the United in the West, States, yeah. States, thankfully, but it still exists and it's terrible. And especially with people with compromised immune systems, it's, it's awful. And no one would speak to her. No one would. Uh, you know, she had one friend, she was at this, it was a Buddhist monastery that was um, had been turned into a hospice for people dying of AIDS by this Buddhist monk in Thailand. And the monastery had these little tiny rooms in a few buildings, about 100, 120 people, arranged around a central square. And in the center of the square was the crematorium. And each day, oh. somebody would die and they would cremate them. The Lex room was, you know, 20 yards maybe from the crematorium. Because she had been a sex worker at some point, and that's how she got AIDS um, or HIV. She had been abandoned by her family. It was it was so disgraceful to them. They were from a very rural area near the Cambodian border, and they'd abandoned her. No one would speak to her, and she was so sick, uh, racked with these never-ending coughs. And I realized that I needed to connect with her, and I needed to tell her story, and she needed to be in this film, and her story was very important but in order to do that i had to go and sit with her and spend time with her and i'd been told by the doctors i met with prior to going on the starting the journey of making this film you know you can't you got to be careful about tuberculosis it can hang in the air for two hours three hours after someone's been in a room you can't you're not going to get it like walking by somebody for two minutes but if you spend a protracted period of time especially inside with someone with TB, um it's very dangerous and i just kind of realized that i had to do that and i did and i sat with her in her room and filmed with her for a long long time for days and really connected with her we were it turns out we were almost exactly the same age i think our birthdays were a couple weeks apart and we ended up uh rory and the rest of the crew came out a, a bit later and i called her and I said i think we found you know the this great story to tell as part of this film. And we ended up taking her back to her family in Cambodia. And, you know, I, this story is incredible and I could go on and on with it, but in her final months of life, we reunited her with her family, or we allowed her, I shouldn't say allowed is the wrong word. We, we facilitated that, or we, we helped create a situation where that could happen in a way that I'm pretty sure wouldn't have happened in the absence of us being there. And on a personal level, I just decided that I was going to take this risk to connect with this person who, who I felt was kind of an amazing person that had been cast aside by the world and whose story was really important to tell. And so I don't want to say it was a sacrifice. She's the one who was dying, but it certainly, it certainly felt like, you know, doing something that, you know, it was a risk that I wouldn't or- ordinarily take in life. And it definitely changed me and, and her whole knowing her knowing her changed me and knowing her story changed me. And so for me, it was really worth it. Wow.
2: Well, thank you, Jed, for making time uh, to come on the show and share your insight with the 20-somethings of the world that may not know exactly what they want to do, may not know exactly what's out there, but you've helped shine a light. The the skills are the same. The focus is the same. It's all the same. If you want to be excellent, you need to Work diligently, look for mentors, impress the mentors, find what you love and what you're expert at, you know, make use of your free time well. Um, So a lot of the message is the same, but the way you tell it is much different. So thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you for being with the Edge of Excellence
0: today. Thank you, brother.
1: I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.